then you guys can come up. Sorry, it's my fault. I just forgot the order of slides. So let's enjoy this two-minute clip to reflect. Oops. Go ahead. for the candles to be lit. Today is the second candle. Uh, it's called the Advent uh, candle of love or the Bethlehem candle. If I can get the clicker, Sarah, hee <laughs> hee, sorry. There we go, oops. So the second candle is coming from Micah chapter 5, verses 2 to 3. And the idea of this second candle represents faith. It's called the Bethlehem candle. Micah had foretold that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, which is also the birthplace of King David. <coughs> the second candle is also purple, symbolize preparation for the coming king. But not every tradition has the same colors. So, uh, but the idea here of Bethlehem being the key thing. In Micah 5 it says, But you, Bethlehem, David's country, the runt of the litter, from you will come the leader who will shepherd rule Israel. He'll be no upstart and no pretender. His family tree is ancient and distinguished. Meanwhile, Israel will be in foster homes until the birth pangs are over and the child is born. And the scattering brothers come back home to the family of Israel. He will stand tall in his shepherd rule by God's strength, centering in the majesty of God revealed. And the people will have a good and safe home, for the whole world will hold him in respect. Peacemaker of the world. Love that. So, the different characters. I want to share with you a short clip, because we're going to talk about the story of Joseph a little bit today. And what would his lens have been? Last week we heard the story of the innkeeper's son and what uh, he could have understood, and it was pretty good. 
But now we're going to take a listen to Joseph. And let's see what Joseph may have perceived following the events that happened. All right, old friend. Let's put some hinges on you. She has been on my case for a week now about you. You know that, don't you? Oh, yes. What would we do without her, huh? Mm. Mary. And to think, when it comes to Mary, I was asking a totally different question just a little while ago. What was I going to do with her? I was just trying to understand everything, but what was there to understand? I mean, she was pregnant. And she'd say over and over and over to me again, it's not what it seems. But I knew it didn't matter. It was just a matter of time before the whole community would start to question things. I started questioning who she'd been with. All my friends thought I'd been duped. looks, the glares around town, the rumors, so many rumors, and it was all justifiable, every bit of it, because who is going to believe the story that we had to tell, an angel, oh, ah, mm. sit on the floor away from windows, away from looks. And I would just say, Mary, tell me again, word for word, tell me what the angel said. And she would say the exact same thing every time. It was as if it was just seared into her. For he will be called son of the most high God. That's what the angel said. An angel. You'd think these calluses wouldn't grab a splinter after all these years. But sometimes the right one manages uh, to get through. Hmm. Guess it's like that dream I had. Would every bone God built me with, doubted Mary? God sent an angel to me to get through. to do what you do best. Now you have two jobs, all right? Keep people out or let people in. Hmm. I guess that's it. When God stands at the door and knocks, 
We either keep them out or we let them in. These are the only two options. It took everything, everything to let you in. But there is not a day that goes by that I am not grateful for opening that door. opened the door it wasn't Joseph it's not us we don't have that much control <laughs> but in our minds we can choose to believe or not to Matthew 1 this is a powerful story by the way this is not given enough credit in the scriptures not enough credit in our Christian traditions we gloss it over as just one of the stories at Christmas we hear all the time. You know you're going to hear this one at Christmas, all right? It's one of, the, one of the big ones. But let's read it a little slower. And by changing the Bible translation, there could be a new twist. There could be a new lens, a new way to hear it, maybe even for the first time. This was how Jesus, God's anointed one, was born. His mother Miriam had promised Joseph to be his wife. But while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Her fiancé, Joseph, was a good man, full of integrity, and didn't want to disgrace her. But when he learned of her pregnancy, he secretly planned to break the engagement. While he was still debating with himself about what to do, he fell asleep and had a supernatural dream. An angel from the Lord appeared to him in clear light and said, Joseph... Descendant of David, don't hesitate to take Miriam into your home as your wife because the power of the Holy Spirit has conceived a child in her womb. She will give birth to a son and you're to name him Savior for he is destined to give his life to save his people from their sins. This happened so that what the Lord spoke through his prophet would come true. Listen, a virgin will be pregnant, she will give birth to a son, and he will be known as Emmanuel, which means in Hebrew, God became one of us. When Joseph awoke from his dream, he did all the angel of the Lord instructed him to do. He took Miriam to be his wife, but they refrained from having sex until she gave birth to her son, whom they named Jesus. We have a man here who is well-skilled with the knowledge of humanity and society. <laughs> what do you do when you think you're right? He was sure he was right. Well, does that ever happen to you guys? What do you do when you think you're right? Well, that's easy. I'm right, you're wrong. <laughs> Done. We don't give it a second thought. It's kind of a pattern here. Hmm. When no other possibility makes sense, what do we do when we think we're right? Joseph had no clue. He said, there's only one way how you get a baby inside there. And that, that's it. That's it. Sorry. Everybody knows that. Sorry. Nothing else makes sense. And he's right. Nothing else made sense. When we are certain the other person is wrong. Ooh. This one's tough. No looking at your spouses. <clears throat> what do we do when we're certain the other person's wrong? <laughs> Maybe there's a lesson we can learn from Joseph today personally, 
without looking at anyone else but only inside. How do we handle it when we find out we're wrong? What do we do when we're wrong? Well, not to me. I'm never wrong. (laughs) Some people would say. We dig in deep because we can't admit we're wrong. That's a very natural response. It's about pride and ego, being right. That's hard because if they find out I'm wrong once, they're going to keep pointing out again and keep reminding me I was wrong once. (laughs) Do we humbly admit it? Make adjustments? This is a tough one. Joseph was faced with a harsh reality and had to make an adjustment. The scriptures say he loved her. He did not want to disgrace her. He could have embarrassed her. He could have called her out publicly. He had every right to according to their customs. Perhaps a good lesson here is to speak of our conclusions with an open hand. This is a life lesson for me. Keep your hand open. Well, here's what I see as true. And I know as things are ramping up in our culture, in our world today, especially with this COVID stuff, we have people who think they're absolutely right. Can you believe that? And their opinions, oh my goodness. And they, oh, and then they share their opinions without even asking. (laughs) And yet, none of us have it right. Not one of us understand or see the whole picture. When someone's in crisis, we go, oh, that is so their own fault. They did it to themselves. That response is, I'm right. It's their own fault. Hmm. Maybe the open hand of, maybe there's something still has to be put in, some information I don't know yet. And maybe my wrong conclusion needs to be pulled and suddenly, oh, I see it differently now. How many times have you seen the artists in videos or on TV where they're drawing some art and it's some weird, crazy thing done to music, very dramatized, and suddenly they spin the picture upside down, and boom, it's like a magnificent piece of art. It's like, whoa, perspective. Hmm. Some people's lives are upside down right now. You can't see it for what it really is. Nor can you understand the pain someone else is walking through. Nor can you see or understand the abandonment. So maybe the open hand is what we need right now. To not be so absolute about our answers. And maybe hold our tongues a lot more about our opinions on certain things. This is a hard lesson. Listen, Joseph went through it. He is a living picture of conspiracy. What was the conspiracy? His bride's pregnant. Imagine him walking into the parents-in-law's home, glaring. That's what he was talking about. The looks, the judgments, people yapping behind people's backs. The church knows really well about that, doesn't it? The professionals that talk behind your back, they call it a prayer chain. Certainty is to be held loosely. Being certain in Unfortunately for me, the tough lesson for me is to learn to not speak with absolute certainty when there's much more wiggle room. And that's hard because we share what we believe, right? We're not going to share things I don't believe. But this is a lesson. 
There's more going on to the story and other people's stories and my story and your story than what we know. Teachability is communicated in our tone. We don't jump on people quickly. Sometimes in relationships, there's freedom to banter and hash out verbally those opinions, and there's, there's safety in that. It's appropriate, but to then spill it everywhere else may not be as wise. As we give our opinion, and after, we have to change it, <laughs> right? Yeah, have you ever been wrong? Who's ever been wrong about something important? All, okay, three of you, and the rest of you are lying. If you've been wrong about something in your life, then you know what it feels like to be wrong and not have all that information. That should give you more grace for somebody else who you believe is also wrong, but they can't see it, which means you think you're right. <laughs> who knows? It's not about right and wrong. That's the wrong tree. We've been learning that for years here. It is about relationship. It is about love. It is about acceptance. There's another man many years earlier who had to leave and start a new life. He was a relative of Joseph and Jesus. That's right. There's another person who had to take off and do something questionable. In Genesis 12, 1 to 3, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So he's saying here, go from your country. Joseph had to take off too. Now, that was a census he had to go to, and, but you do remember he actually had to take off to escape because his kid's life was in danger. So he had to take off to Egypt. So in, skip forward to Genesis 22. Here's a weird story. Abraham was asked to sacrifice his son. Most of you know this story. Here's a summary. God shows up and says, Abraham... Go to this mountain, and I'll tell you where, but I want you to sacrifice your son. And so they brought a couple servants, brought a son, and they went to that mountain. Up the mountain they went. Two servants were told to stay here. And then up goes the father and son. He ties up his son, puts him on the altar. He's about to take him out with a knife, and God says, Stop! Don't do that. Are you kidding? Ends up showing him a... An animal caught and says, use that instead, sacrifice that instead. And the father, Abraham, rejoices. That's a quick summary. But there's a couple observations. <laughs> Abraham didn't bat an eyelash. Did you notice that part? He was fully willing to go through with it. So, Terrell, God's calling you to sacrifice your firstborn son, go up to a, a special lake, <laughs> How would you respond? Are you kidding? No. That's how personal it is. Keep in mind, this is a story that's been shared century after century after century, first verbally, 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 and then written down. But this is the summary of it. So we're not going to get all the emotions captured in the, t <coughs> in the text, okay? 
but he didn't bat an eyelash. That should shock some of us. If you're well-churched, you may go, yes, he was trusting the Lord. Let me tell you, if that's your response, you are really churched and have disconnected with humanity in some level. I really believe that. And you don't know it until you're out. You don't know until you see multiple lenses and go, whoa, I didn't know how hook, line, and sinker I bought into. Just trust what the, what the scripture's saying and trust what the preacher says. Ooh, don't do that. The Holy Spirit is your only teacher to confirm, to express, and to show you more. The traditional ways of misinterpreting the story, and this is going to be painful for some. First, what does God want you to sacrifice? That's the question that comes up in most sermons. After they preach Abraham, now what are you willing to sacrifice? I will admit that uh, this was one of the questions in the resource where I go, we got these videos from. I thought, oh, are you kidding? I thought, I'm bringing this up. This is how dumb it is. Next idea, what is God asking you to lay down on the altar today? That's another wonderful line. And usually it has to be something you love, right? Which means if you don't give it up, then you never really gave it to God. And we do not look at the blessings of God given to us. It's almost like slapping God in the face with our blessings. Because the focus is now on sacrifice. And if it's done in a controlled environment where a group of people want to control you and get money from you or get you to go do stuff, then it's an easy guilt trip. It really is. And if you haven't seen that way before, open your eyes. This is how I've seen it. I want nothing to do with that. We've seen people become missionaries and have, they've reached people for Christ but they've sacrificed their children because, oh, Abraham did, so I did. Look at Paul Young. He's a missionary's kid. He got sacrificed on the altar of missions. Horrible things happened to him. There's some twisted thinking here. Oh, but it's all in the name of Jesus. Which Jesus? Which one? The one who wants your blood. Or the one who gives you his love, and wants a relationship. Which one? <laughs> Step away from church thinking, and you'll begin to see how twisted this is. Religion can now add any manipulation, request money or missions. You need to be at church on time because God has given his life for you. You can at least be on time. How many have heard that? I've heard it. Oh, yeah. There are church denominations that are pretty big on that kind of wording. I'm just calling this out because it's connected to the story and they use it and manipulate to make it say something it never meant to say. God is not testing everyone. The story starts with God came to test Abraham. But I'm not sure that's the correct wording. I think God came and was about to reveal something to Abraham he couldn't learn any other way. Is that a test? Maybe. The lesson was not, please sacrifice for me. It was God saying, I do not delight in sacrifices. Your culture and customs view sacrifice as normal, and I'm showing you, I do not approve. 
This is called progressive revelation. All the way through Scripture, we see an unveiling of a deeper truth. God knew they couldn't handle the full blast of the full revelation because they just couldn't handle it. It's too much. So maybe if that's true, you and I need to be gentle with others who haven't seen what we can see. Or when we hear of things that we can't see, realize we may come to see that, and that's okay in God's time. There isn't a race for revelation, but this one is huge. It took the arrival of Jesus, hence the connection to Christmas, to correct humanity's picture of who the Father is. In Matthew eleven twenty seven, it says, You have entrusted me with all that you are. He's praying to his Father now, this is Jesus. You've entrusted me with all that you are and all that you have. No one fully and intimately knows the Son except the Father. And no one fully and intimately knows the Father except the Son. But the Son is able to unveil the Father to anyone he chooses. This is why Jesus came. John 19, 9-11 says, For anyone who has looked at me has seen the Father. Do not believe that the Father is in the living. Sorry, don't you believe the Father is living in me and I'm (coughs) living in the Father? Even my words are not my own, but come from my Father. For he lives in me and performs his miracles of power through me. Ooh, do you see that? Ooh, 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 ooh. For he lives in me and performs his miracles of power through me. So who who did the miracles then? Even in Acts, it says it was God doing it through Christ. Here is in John saying the same thing. Believe that I live as one with my Father, and, the fa- and my Father lives as one with me, or at least believe because of the mighty miracles that I've done, because he can't handle the truth yet. Luke 2.10, but the angel reassured them, saying, don't be afraid, for I've come to bring good news the most joyous news the world has ever heard. It's for everyone, everywhere. Now go sacrifice your firstborn kid. Is that what the angel said? (laughs) No. Jesus came to demolish the false concepts of his father that had been taught and built up throughout history. Jesus came to reveal, and he was the only one that could properly do it. Emmanuel, God with us, with skin on. Yeah. Joseph was wrong. And God got his attention. Not the gossip group. Not even Mary, the one he loved. He wanted to believe her, but he couldn't. It took a supernatural connection. (gasps) Oh my goodness, maybe that's it. Maybe it requires a supernatural awakening in each of us to wake up to the reality of God's amazing grace and love towards us. And that God's actually not angry. Because every cultural story we've heard throughout the Old Testament bowed into the cultural belief that if God is blessing you, he's for you. And if he's, if he's cursing you, you've done something bad. That's, that's what we grew up learning. And we ported it from the Old Testament and made it as if it's equal to the new and had nothing to do with who God, who God was. That was a cultural writing down of how they believed things were. Boy, oh boy, I remember, huh, I got a flat tire one time. I was like 19. 
Oh, Lord, I'm sorry I didn't tithe this week. I know you said you're going to get your money in one way or another, but how many have ever done that? How embarrassing. But that's how stupid it is to think when bad things happen, God's punishing us and cursing us. Sometimes when those beautiful blue and red lights shine up in your rearview mirror, it's because you were speeding. It's your own stupid fault. Not because God's mad at you. (laughs) If we can view God differently and see him as relational and for us, not against us, all those false paradigms will start to fall away. And we're going to see grace and love, and we're going to actually believe what the angels said. And they said this is good news for everyone. That's the Jesus I believe in. Who'd have thought? Heavenly Father, wherever we may have blind spots in our minds right now, wherever we think we're comfortably right about our concept of who you are, (laughs) would you be ever so gentle to nudge us and kind of break that paradigm and replace it with a more accurate truth? Where we have professed a false image of who you are, verbally, loudly, and with certainty, forgive us. And may we speak only grace from this day forward. I pray this in Jesus' name.